I cut my teeth in ministry as a youth pastor. Back in my youth pastor days, one of the things I talked with students a good bit about was dating and relationships. Very present, needed conversation, right? Well, here's a point that I would always make with, you know, with teenagers. Don't say, I love you, to this boy or girl that you just started dating like two weeks ago, okay? You, you know, you, you went to see Pirates of the Caribbean together, and now you love each other, okay? You're, you're not in love, I would tell them. I like the way this person makes me feel, and so I assume a much deeper and more mature relationship than what is actually there. And I would try to explain to these teenagers how real love is, is self-sacrificing rather than self-absorbed. Real love develops slowly, and it stands the test of time and hardship. Real love is created and defined by God, not by us. Now, you can guess how that probably went over in a room full of 14-year-olds. You know, 14-year-old Kyle would have thought that was just ridiculous. You can't tell me how I feel. Uh, but I stand by it. I know I was right. I was right then, and I think it's still true. And it's not just true in the area of, of romance. Y'all, love is a word that costs nothing to say, and yet it's incredibly costly to do. Love is costly. To truly love another person costs you a part of yourself, because love, by definition, really is a self-giving thing. So today's Mother's Day. Every mom in here can testify to this, that you, your love for your children has cost you. It's changed everything about your life. You've sacrificed so much. You've experienced so much anguish. You've shed tears. You've poured yourself out for the life of another person. And almost certainly you'd say, I'd do it a million times over, right? Because the gift and privilege of loving somebody sacrificially really is worth it, right? Maybe not a million times over, but you know, I'd do, I'd do it again, right? It's great, even though it costs so much. Well, y'all, here we are at the end of the Gospel of John. And in the Scripture, real, in my estimation, nobody more than John speaks on this issue of love with such depth and, um, and, and beauty and wonder, the, the beauty of God's love and our love for one another as a, res, as a response. John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he just talks about it all the time. So it's fitting that the, at the end of the Gospel of John, the issue of love is going to take center stage. And specifically... Jesus here is going to test the love of his disciple, Simon Peter. And y'all, this is a significant moment, because what we come to find out is that Peter is not only the leader among the apostles, as we look in uh, the book of Acts and beyond, but Peter's love for Jesus is going to prove very costly in his own life. And Jesus knows that. Jesus knows what awaits this man in his ministry. And so here we have, we get access to this very up close and personal conversation that Jesus has with Peter. And this is how the Gospel of John concludes. We're going to finish it today, beginning in verse 15. John 21, verse 15. As we recall, Jesus shows up on the seashore while the boys are out fishing. He, he gives them a miraculous catch and they come in to have breakfast with him. Verse 15, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because Jesus said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Now, what's going on here? Jesus asks Peter the same question three times. Do you love me? And y'all, this, this really shouldn't be lost on us when we consider who Peter is and what he's done. We, we remember what happened on Good Friday, that when Jesus was arrested and put on trial, Peter was given opportunity to confess his association with Jesus, his discipleship to the Lord, and he denied him. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. And Jesus asks him, do you love me? Three times. But y'all, now we shouldn't read into this that somehow Jesus is still rubbing Peter's nose in it. He's already sought Peter out. He's forgiven him. He's restored him. We've seen that already in chapters 20 and 21. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross, he shed for the forgiveness of Peter's sin of denial, along with every other sin. We make no mistake about that. So Jesus, this is not Jesus doing a little passive-aggressive kind of punishment of Peter after the fact. No. He's also not asking Peter a question that he doesn't know the answer to already. Peter says it three times. You know that I love you. You know all things. And that was true. Jesus knew the condition of Peter's heart. He knew that Peter loved him. So what's the purpose of this line of questioning? Well, it seems to me that the purpose of all of this is to purify and prepare Peter for what's to come. Jesus is not asking these questions for his own benefit, but for Peter's benefit. Do you love me more than these? Y'all, we remember this, but Peter once boasted very loudly that even if all the other disciples should fall away from Jesus, I won't. I'll never fall away. I'll never deny him. I love Jesus more than everybody else. That was the boast. And of course, we know how that boast turned out. And so now Peter is faced with a, a painful but very purifying question. Jesus says, do you love me more than the rest of these disciples love me? Do you love me more than you love anything or anyone else? If we turn that question back around, not just to Peter, but to us, do you, do you hold up Jesus as your greatest treasure in life? Do you love him more deeply than you love your own ambitions or your own self-preservation? You see, this really is a question for us. Because, y'all, the, the truth is, as is it, is it relates to our discipleship, our following of Jesus, the, the proof is in the pudding, right? If, if I don't really love him, truly, from the bottom of my heart, then I'm only going to follow Jesus so far. Only, I, I'll only follow him to the edges of where I remain comfortable, but no further. If we don't truly 
love Jesus, then we're not going to trust him when things get especially hard. We won't obey him when the cost becomes too high. And we will not look to him as our great hope and as our great joy in a world that competes so hard for our attention and our affection. If he's not my greatest treasure, then I'm going to stop short in what he calls me to do and who he calls me to be. And y'all, this is, this is true in the moment for Peter because the truth about Peter is the heat in Peter's life is about to get turned up to a thousand degrees. Whatever the pressure he felt that Good Friday when he denied Christ, the pressure that wilted him a few weeks prior, y'all, that's nothing compared to the threats and the beatings and imprisonments and the battles that await him that we read about in Acts. And so Jesus asks the question that pierces now into Peter's very soul. Do you love me, Peter? Yes. 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 You know I love you. Okay, then shepherd my sheep. Tend my lambs. Tend my sheep. Y'all, all, those are three variations of the same command. What Jesus is calling Peter now to do. Peter, out of the abundance of your love for me, I'm now making you an under-shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd, John chapter 10, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And now, Peter, Jesus says, you're going to stand in as one who will embody God's grace and God's truth and love to the church. You're going to feed and nourish God's people with the words of truth. You're going you're to humbly serve them in the spirit of Jesus. You're going to protect them from falsehood and from those who would wish to do the church harm. That's now Peter's call. In light of his love for Jesus, now shepherd Jesus' lambs. Now, there are some people who take a verse like this and they, they come to um, a greater conclusion about Peter than we ought to, as if Peter's given some exclusive role here. Some would say Peter was the first pope, and this is Jesus establishing him in that office. And and we don't believe that. What, What we see here is Peter really being called to do something that Peter extends to all those who are shepherds and pastors of the church. In 1 Peter 5, Peter refers to himself as a fellow elder of the church, and he charges all the elders, the pastors of the churches, to do this very same thing, shepherd the flock of God among you. And so every pastor is given this same charge. But the bottom line is, if Peter is going to love Jesus with all his heart, then that means he's going to have to live, not for his own self-advancement or for his own self-preservation. He's going to live in a way that is self-giving. He's living for the sake of the sheep. So so loving Jesus for Peter can't simply be an internal commitment, but it's something that's poured out of him. And Jesus says, you're going to pour it out for the sake of the church. Now, if that were all that Jesus commissioned Peter to do here, I mean, that would be significant. That'd be life-changing. But that's not all. In Peter's case, Jesus says, your love for me is going to cost you more than your time and energy. It's going to cost you everything. We see this in verse 18. Jesus goes on to say, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you 
and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this Jesus said, signifying by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now the message is a little obscure maybe on the surface, but it's really clear when we think about it. A day will come for you, Peter, when you will be taken against your will and your hands will be stretched out. Y'all, this is very likely a reference to crucifixion. And church history holds to this, that Peter was crucified for his faith in Jesus. One day, Peter's going to suffer and die because of his faith and apostleship. And it's, it's interesting that this is, remember, the same Peter who once denied Jesus in order to avoid a cross. Jesus says, now you will love me all the way to your own cross. And John says, this is to tell us the kind of death by which Peter is going to glorify God. Now, I, I'm sure you nor I can imagine uh, how this news would have been received as Peter is hearing it now for the first time. It had to have hit him like a ton of bricks. And we're going to come back around to this in just a minute, but I want to make the point here. Jesus is not merely predicting the future. Jesus is not a fortune teller who says, Peter, I've looked into your future, and I've got some bad news. Good news and bad news. Okay, good news. You know, you've got a lot of exciting times ahead of you, but there's, there's one thing kind of hanging out there. I really, you know, I hate to burst your bubble. No, 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 no. Jesus is telling Peter about how he will most glorify God, what is ultimately Peter's, uh, God's plan for Peter's life which encompasses and includes his death. And Jesus is communicating this to Peter, even in your suffering and death, you're going to glorify the Lord. Not just in your life following me, but in the way that you will suffer and die in my name. All of it will be to God's glory. And y'all, as hard as that may have been to hear, and Jesus knows it's hard to hear, it doesn't change the calling upon Peter's life. You see how Jesus concludes that little paragraph? Follow me. No matter the cost, no matter the, the temporal outcomes, follow me. Now, Peter's a normal guy, right? He's just gotten news that his discipleship to Jesus is going to cost him his life. I don't know how you would receive that. But Peter receives it, I guess, the best he can, but it's, it's very natural for him in this moment to start to wonder Okay, well, what about the other guys? I mean, Jesus just told me that I'm going to suffer and die. I mean, if, he, if he's reading between the lines, I'm going to be crucified too. What about the rest of the disciples? Especially John. For whatever reason, Peter's concerned mostly about John. Look at verse 20. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That's John, the one who also had leaned back on Jesus' bosom at the Last Supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore this saying went out among the brethren that the, the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you? 
This is the disciple who is testifying of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. John is speaking firsthand here. What's Peter concerned about? Why is he interested in John's fate? It could be that it's just a matter of, of curiosity, right? Okay, I know what's going to happen to me. What about him? Uh, it could be born out of a sense of rivalry a little bit. I mean, these, these are normal people, remember. They had rivalries between one another in their own kind of way. Uh, it could be that Peter's still concerned that this news of his suffering is some form of punishment for his past denial. As if Jesus had restored him, but there's, you know, the consequences are still going to catch up to him eventually. And maybe there's a unique form of suffering just for him, but not for everybody else. It's hard to say what Peter's concern is, but clearly he's interested. What about John? And Jesus really gives a striking answer. He says, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Now, John clarifies, of course, this is just a hypothetical point. Jesus is not saying that John's going to remain alive for 2,000 plus years. The clock's still ticking somewhere. I don't know where he is. No, of course not. The point is, Peter, if God's purpose is for you to die in this way, and God's purpose is for John to die another way, or not even to die at all, that's not your concern. That's not your business, Peter. You follow me. See, whatever Peter's issue here is, Jesus is redirecting him. He's giving him a focal point. Follow me. Nothing else matters, Peter. You follow me. And y'all, what this means for a person like Peter is, he's going to follow Jesus in some very green and lush pastures. There is going to be some sweet uh, ministry for Peter upcoming. We get to read about it. We see it in the scripture. But he's also going to have to follow Jesus through the valley of the shadow of death. If you open up to the book of Acts, Peter follows Jesus and miraculous things happen. There was a point at which they used to take Peter's handkerchief off of him. And if anybody touched it, they would be healed. Jesus did some awesome things through this man. But he's also going to follow Jesus to a cross and suffer and die for him. But see, this is love. And y'all, when we spoke at the beginning about what true love is, love is costly. Love is self-giving. By its very nature, love sacrifices of self for the sake of someone else. And this is what Jesus has in mind for Peter. When he says, Peter, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then shepherd my sheep and follow me and take up your own cross. Which is to say, to follow me, to love me, Peter, it's going to cost you everything. And y'all, if we can take a step back for just a moment, we recognize Jesus isn't just talking to and about Peter. For every single person who comes to Jesus, this is the very same message that is delivered to us. Jesus said it himself in Luke chapter 9, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus says, if anyone loses his life for my sake, then he will find it. Then he will have life in its truest form. And so, I, you know, this maybe puts a lump in our throat a little bit to think about it, but we ought to be clear on it because it applies to everybody. 
who comes to Christ. If you come to Jesus, Jesus delivers the very same message Jesus says to you and to me. He says, love me. Follow me. Give yourself for me. Lay down your life for me. Now, if that, if that strikes us as especially difficult or even cruel and unfair, y'all, there's two ways to look at this. One, there's a wrong way, and then there's a right way. We could say, on the one hand, well, okay, all right, God created me. He owns me in that sense, and therefore I'm obligated to him. And so I have to do what he says. He's God. And if I don't do what God says, he holds my eternal destiny in his hand. He's the one who holds the scales. And so I better love him and follow him and and sacrifice for him if that's what he wants. And we might even put a little positive spin on it to say, if I love and, and follow and sacrifice for God, well, then maybe he'll reward me. And in the end, I'll get eternal life. I'll get heaven. But at the, at the bottom of that way of thinking is, you know what, y'all, God brought you into this world, he can take you out. And so you better do what he says if you want him to be pleased with you. Y'all, that is a form of religion that a great many people hold to. The way we think about God, the way we operate in this world. God made me, and so I have to do what he says. And if I don't, bad things will happen to me. But that is not the message of the gospel. That is not the message of Jesus Christ. Y'all, we have, by God's grace, we've spent 16 months or so now walking through this great gospel of John and marveling week after week, just, just taking in the beauty and the wonder of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so my hope is that here in the next three minutes or so, this is a very familiar and very sweet message to us. And I want you to consider this. These three things Jesus is commanding of Peter that he commands to all of us. Love me, follow me, give yourself for me. Think about who is speaking these words. Jesus Christ, when Jesus says, love me, he is speaking to people that he has loved first. We love, John says, because he first loved us. This is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Y'all, if, if we ask this question, why did Jesus come to earth in the first place? John 3.16 tells us, because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so that means for us that when we're called to love God, we're not being called to some stale religious duty that God is needy and he created us to fill that love need for him. No. We don't love God to initiate relationship with him or to somehow get something back from out of him. We love God in response to a prior love that he has had for us. His great love for us, which came first before we had done anything good or bad to earn it or to lose it. And because he loved us first, that love resulted in the sending of his son. So when Jesus says, love me, He loved you first. And when Jesus says, follow me, we now understand what his love compelled him to do. We can only follow Jesus because he first came to us and for us. John says as he begins this gospel, the word, that is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Jesus came 
to and for us. Jesus came to serve us, to make himself known to us. Y'all, that's it's such a, a, a massive mistake for us to say. To be a Christian means that we follow Jesus' commands. That we, we, we abide by you know, the ethical codes of the Bible. Now that may be part of it, but that's not what it means to be a Christian. It means that we follow a person, we trust a person. The very person of Jesus Christ, that's why he says, he doesn't say follow the code, follow the rules. He says, follow me. He came for you so that you might know him and follow him. And now when Jesus says this third thing, lay down your life for me, that's the one we really struggle with. Love me, follow me, okay, okay. Lose your life for me. Give it all up for my sake. That's the hard one to handle, right? But that command of Jesus takes us straight to the heart of God. Before it ever becomes an issue of my heart or yours, it takes us into God's heart. You know, one of my very favorite scriptures, something that's been very a treasure to me for 20 years now. Galatians chapter 2, where, where the Apostle Paul speaks personally on this issue. To lay down your life for Jesus, that may very well mean suffering and dying, as it did with Peter, as it did with Paul. But it means something more than that. And it means something more present and more far-reaching than that. It's not just, if the time comes to suffer, be willing to suffer. But it means, how do I live right now to lay down my life for Jesus Christ? Listen to how Paul puts this. It's so wonderful. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I've died with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Y'all, the idea of laying down your life for Jesus is not about losing anything, not anything that matters at least. It's about gaining everything. The same Apostle Paul in Philippians said, I've lost everything for the sake of Christ, and yet I count it but rubbish because I have gained Him. And I've come to know the surpassing value of having and knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Y'all, Jesus says, lay down your life for me. Think about who is speaking those words. The very Son of God who laid down His life for us. He's not asking you to do something as a, as a you know, as a, 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 some sort of bare fact of allegiance, like, show me how much you love me. Die for me. There might be a form of God in our imagination who would make such a, a command of us, but not the God of the Bible, not the one true God. The one who laid down his life for us so that we may have everlasting life in him by his divine grace. When Jesus says, lay down your life for me, He's saying, trust me, that the one who laid down his life for you, the Son of God who forgave all your sins, he knows what life really is, and he will give it to you in abundance. You know, when Jesus says, love me, follow me, give your life for me, he's not taking something away from you. He's giving you his, his very, his, himself, he's giving you the kind of life that only God can give. Because he loved you, because he came for you, because he gave his life for you, this is the self-giving kind of love 
that originated in the mind and heart of God. This was his idea. And now it's been poured out in full on you and me through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not stealing away our ambitions and our our good things somehow to commit ourselves to a life of religious service. Jesus is bringing us in on divine, eternal grace, on reconciliation with God, on forgiveness of sins, on life itself. Peter, at the end of his life, would clearly declare, read read 1 Peter chapter 1 now if you don't believe me. Go back and read it. Peter would say, I've lost nothing. I've gained everything. Because I have Christ, just as Paul did. And see, all this, let's end today the way John ends. This great book comes to an end, and in such a picture-perfect way, verse 25. There are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. There is no library, and not even all the libraries combined could contain the truth and the grace of this man. Y'all know what that means for us at a practical level? That you and I, we can spend our entire lives diving deeper into the truth and the grace and the glory and the love of Jesus. We can dive as deeply as we can and we'll never touch bottom. We will never get to the bottom of him. We will never learn all there is to learn or experience all the grace there is to know. And I have a suspicion, I'm not sure the Bible tells us this, but I just believe it, that even in a million years, in a million years, there will still be more to discover of him and more cause, more reason for us to enjoy and worship him on and on forever because he is that rich and wonderful and good to us. This is the Lord Jesus Christ who gave everything for us. Would we delight in response to love him and follow him and give ourselves for his sake? Because he said that's where life is truly found. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning we are, I pray, encouraged and not defeated by such a high calling. And I pray, Father, that what we see is maybe in some ways unique to Peter uh, as as the apostle of Jesus, um, especially to the Jewish people. Peter, who, Lord, you empowered to do magnificent things beyond our imagination. Thank you for the uniqueness of his apostleship. And yet, Lord, we recognize that that we're called to this very same precious privilege to love you with all that we have, to follow you, to lay down our lives for your sake. Lord, would would you grant us the kind of faith that we would look into those words and see not a curse, but a blessing. Not something to fear, but something to, to, um, to hope in. Lord, not something that, that strips away our joy, but something that gives us true joy. Because we see in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has loved us first and came for us and gave himself up 
for us. Lord, help us this morning to trust the Lord Jesus. That we might follow Him in the lush green pastures beside the still waters when life is sweet and circumstances are in our favor. And to follow Him into any dark valley He might call us knowing, Lord, that you are with us and that no circumstance, good or bad, easy or difficult, is, a, is, is determining to us who you are and how much you love us. But you will see us through into your glory and the eternal weight of all your promises. Lord, grant us the joy of knowing that we can lose ourselves and gain Christ and we will have gained everything. Lord, thank you that Peter finally understood this and embodied it. Lord, may we do the same to your glory and for our great joy forever. In Christ's name, amen.